Talk, talk to me. WSRadio.com This is California School News Radio with your hosts, Kevin Osmus and Drew Schlossberg. Thank you, Wade. We're here live on California School News Radio, the voice of education in California. Welcome to the program. Every week we bring you newsmakers from the world of education to discuss what's going right in our schools from the perspective of administrators, teachers, students, parents, and community members. I am Kevin Osmus from DMA Communications, and with me, as always, is my partner, Drew Schlossberg. How are you doing today, Drew? Doing just fine, Kevin. Doing just fine. Yourself? Yeah, it's a beautiful day here in Southern California. Uh, Sun is shining, and we have a great program, so let's get right to it. Today, we are back out at Rio Hondo College, where the Forensic Speech and Debate Team is wrapping up another successful school year, which saw them participating in a number of virtual tournaments, most recently the IPDA National Championship, held virtually in April. Now, Spoiler alert, nobody brought home the big trophy, but the experience these students (laughs) are gained by competing will be of great assistance to them as they look to transfer to four-year universities. And Rio Hondo's College's speech and debate team has an eye-popping transfer rate of, get this, Drew, over 90% over the years with students going on to such schools as UC Berkeley, UCLA, USC, and Bowling Green one of my favorite schools. So here today to talk about the program is Rio Hondo College Forensics Coordinator, Grant Tobmazian. Welcome to the California School News Radio to you, Grant. Thank you very much for having us. Oh, it's an honor honor to have you on the program. Pardon me? (laughs) Looking forward to discussing about the things that we're doing right. Okay, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And also with us is Rio Hondo College speech instructor Patricia Hughes. Welcome to the show to you, Patricia. Hi, thank you. It's, mm. it's so, a pleasure uh, to be here. Well, Grant, we'll, we'll start with you. And Patricia, I want you to also uh, hop in on this. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a double question to start off. But Grant, you've been the forensics coordinator at Rio Hondo College for about 10 years or so. Is that right? And That's you've had true. quite a quite a bit of success there and so why is communication so important and and what skills do students learn in debate that will help them succeed in higher education and beyond well uh, some of the most simple ways to look at this is the reasons why communication plays such a role most of our students that come to us at Riohondo tend to come or be first generation college students which means there is a level of social unpreparedness in or unfamiliarity that requires knowledge of certain concepts, phrases. And secondarily, it is the expectation, what is expected from the student. The unknown factor is usually what petrifies most students, trying to be able to deal with numerous and variety of different issues that they have to deal with as adults now becomes a hurdle for a lot of students, whether that be working with admissions and records or or counseling or even uh, such thing as choosing classes. In almost all of those instances, it is required for the students to be able to communicate themselves effectively. And that knowledge is unfortunately is denied to a lot of our students, which means when they enter into the world of communications uh, and, uh, communica- and being able to take part in it, what takes place is one, knowledge of how to be confident enough to be able to express yourself, and secondarily, it gives them that secondary knowledge 
because of the topics and manner and information that they get exposed to while being part of the um, forensics program at Rio Hondo College, it gives them a better understanding of the school system. So uh, armed with those two things is probably are the things that help them to be able to, one, transfer successfully and then continuously succeed in their next steps of the higher education and or professional careers as they would see it. Yeah, and, and uh, Patricia, uh, let me ask you this question, and then I'm going to circle back to, to Grant. We always like to ask this of the folks that are on the air, um, our key uh, uh, speakers on it. What got you into uh, debate and speech? Were you always interested in this, even in grade school and college and so forth? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually was, was slightly interested in high school, um, but... I always told myself I didn't belong uh, doing speech and debate because of a number of reasons. You know, I, I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't knowledgeable enough about government or economics or anything, really. You know, I was just trying to keep my head down and survive. Um, and so I always told myself it just wasn't a place for me, even though I was interested. And uh, it wasn't until I came back to, to Rio Hondo for college, I was... A little bit older. I was in my my later twenties, and I took a speech one hundred and one class with uh, Grant actually, and he convinced me to to join the team. And I it took some convincing, and I was a little nervous. But I looked back at high school, and I thought I really wish I would have done it then. And even though I still didn't feel like it was a place that I belonged, or that I was capable enough, the fact that I had an instructor tell me that it was a place for me to be was what encouraged me to join. And it just so happened that I loved it. And I found my voice there. And what I feel is my calling. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you something. Uh, you know, this story absolutely 100% parallels what happened to me. And I know it's probably the same with so many of the students that you and Grant have. Um, I uh, didn't say a peep in uh, in high school. I just didn't want to. And my dad said, just take a uh, speech class. And I did at Santa Monica College. And everything changed. Um, here I am, 15 years doing a podcast. Are you kidding me? And I was the spokesperson for a, a newspaper. Uh, and are you, if you would have told me this when I was in 11th grade, I would have said, uh, you're smoking something and you got the wrong Drew Schlossberg. Uh, that is just a great story. Grant, you must be very proud of Patricia. Absolutely. Uh, she definitely demonstrated uh, what she showed on the first day when she walked into that classroom, which is not only does she have the brains and the ability for it, but she definitely has the drive to be an excellent communicator. Right. And so, Patricia, and again, you can jump on this one too, Grant, but Patricia, so here's your story, okay? And how many of the students that go through your class and maybe even some of the ones on the debate team are going, I never thought I would ever be on a debate team, um, follow similar paths, I'd say most of them, almost, I'd be very confident in saying at least 99% of them probably never envisioned themselves being on a speech and debate team. What do you think? One, it, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Grant. Uh, the one thing I wanted to point out is the Rio Hondo Forensic Speech and Debate team operates slightly different than a lot of the other teams. We don't have tryouts, we don't have 
any of those other prerequisites and requirements that other uh, forensic squads have. And, and of course, every school does things their own way. For us, it's always been an issue of pride and significance to tell our students that if you want to learn this, we will find ways and means to teach you. And so we keep an open squad, an open door policy for all our students. And so that helps, I think. You know, and, and we all know in this world that is absolutely slammed with communication, it comes from every which way. You guys know this better than anybody, whether it's social media, whether it's print, whether it's broadcast, whether it's stuff we haven't even heard of and invented yet. Um, it is so important to be on top of your game in uh, communication uh, without question. Patricia, talk about how much you and Grant emphasize that to the students. I think we emphasize that um, every day. Uh, one of the things that we love to do is when we are teaching things such as structuring your arguments or doing research for topics, um, we always make sure to connect it to real-world application. Why is it important to be able to build a well-structured argument? Uh, whether it comes to family members and just trying to get your point across, because I think we've all been there where, you know, we say something and our family either takes it the wrong way or they misunderstand or they just don't hear it. Um, I think we can apply that to educational levels. We can apply that to uh, corporate levels when we're in employment, um, even interviews. Having an interview to, to get a job, we have to be able to know our research about the company we're applying for, be able to articulate ourselves and sell ourselves to that, that employer in order to get that position. And so that's definitely something that we do so that they understand the importance in everything that we, we apply for forensic speech and debate. I think that this is wonderful, and and taking going back to the fact that you take all comers, uh, you don't have tryouts, you don't have auditions. I, I would think that for a student to come in and suddenly be doing something that they had no idea, that it thought never even came into their head, and then suddenly you're sitting them down and said, you could be really good at this, give it a try. And then they do it, and then suddenly they're getting noticed by debate coaches perhaps at a tournament, uh, or they're, suddenly their studies are, are, are skyrocketing and, and their grades are doing well, and they're off to a four-year university where maybe they'll be on the speech team, uh, maybe they'll go straight into law school. Who, who really knows? But, I mean, that that is... Uh, very much a, a, a big check mark in, in Rio Hondo College's favor. Um, and, and while we're it's kind of segue into all these competitions that uh, the students do, I mean, you guys have them in competitions pretty much uh, once or twice a month uh, for the entire school year, and probably at least a dozen this year alone in, in the school year, even though they're virtual. So Grant and Patricia, what is the uh, strategy behind that, having so many competitions? And, and how do you feel to, when, you, when, you, when you pair someone like uh, Ashley Sanchez, who's your vice president, and then a guy like John Connell, who uh, has his first tournament debate like he did just a few weeks ago and 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 you've kind of got that dichotomy going like the new and the inexperienced but it all kind of comes together doesn't it absolutely well part of the reason is is practice 
as uh, one of the uh, one of the very important elements that we want all of our students to know is that people think that communication is effectively a mental exercise, and that's what normally and traditionally people think of, and that's why they're afraid. But in reality, communication is a physical exercise. It's an exercise of commanding your mouth to move, your tongue to move, to words to verbalize and articulate, and all of those things uh, become much easier to do with practice because even if you write out the most perfect speech, delivering that speech is going to be problematic, as all of us here would agree, unless you have sufficient amount of practice. And part of our madness or reason behind our madness of putting students through a lot of those tournaments is to give them those opportunities. Because in reality, our students are confounded with this fact. Most of their opponents, if they uh, confront them on a four-year level, come from schools and high schools and so forth that already have had forensics programs, which means it's very possible that the people that they are going to go against would have four years of high school experience, and now they could be on their third years of college or university uh, forensic team experience, whereas for them, it could be the first time stepping into that world which means by increasing the number of tournaments, we, we increase the number of, um, well, practice that they do and thereby um, eliminate some of those natural disadvantages that might have been present in the beginning but disappear at the end of the forensic competitive year. Yeah, practice makes perfect. And then, Patricia, when you joined the team, I, I assume that you uh, just went right into tournaments yourself. How was that for you? <laughs> it was terrifying. <laughs> I, More terrifying than a podcast? Of, <laughs> yes, actually, yes. And the reason okay, why good. is because um, I've had practice, right? Those tournaments, the first one is always intimidating. And this is part of the reason why uh, we are so big on multiple tournaments as well is because we know that the first one is it's scary and it's intimidating we don't know what to expect and and I especially felt that I know all of my students pretty much feel that and so it's not until the second or third or the fourth each one gets easier each one you get more comfortable and you really start to feel that empowerment after doing it a couple of times of wow I have a voice and people are hearing what I'm saying, and they're listening. They're really actually listening. And it takes multiple times for that to connect, which is why it's so essential to have so many tournaments because the first one, again, is, is pretty intimidating. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, but without, without having multiple, I definitely don't see myself being able to do a podcast like I am today. Well, you're going to be the host here uh, pretty soon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, you, if, if things keep going here. Uh, another thing that I noticed about the tournaments is everybody is so nice to each other. I mean, for people having an argument, um, I, I, I listen in on one, and, and uh, uh, the, the, you know, the competitor uh, listed their, their arguments and, and their points, and then the, the person responded by saying, awesome. And I was like, wow, that's not what I would say if I was debating an argument. I, I might use a word that uh, is the opposite of awesome. I, 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 so I, I have to imagine that this civility aspect is, is kind of baked into the, the way these tournaments are, are held, correct? That's absolutely um, correct to say, because although, as with every 
hyper competitive event and uh, if you can imagine majority of the universities and colleges and that's thousands of students doing it every once in a while you will encounter the somewhat of a loose and, and rude or even obnoxious uh, opponent, but I think as a community, forensics community tries to um, to foster uh, uh, an atmosphere where students will not feel otherized, where students will not feel where their voice will be automatically silenced or put away. And so I, I part of the reason why we do this is because this is a community that can you know, foster that the safety where students will be able to open up, which means this is not something that is unique to Rio Hondo, but rather um, something that is so important for the forensic speech and debate community to be able to ensure that every student who enters will find a safe space where they will be able to not be afraid of being um, hurt or <laughs> yelled at. So I think that's more <laughs> of a communal thing uh, rather than an individual, but absolutely. Right. Uh, we are chatting with the Grant uh, Mazian. He is the Forensic Speech and Debate Coordinator for Rio Hondo College, joined by his colleague uh, Patricia Hughes, Speech Instructor and Debate Coach for uh, the college. I'm Drew Schlossberg of VMA Communications, joined by my colleague Kevin Osmus. I'm going to start with you on this one, Patricia, and then uh, we're going to tee it over to Grant. And this may be not a fair question, but uh, I'll ask it anyway, because um, I'm sure there's more than one answer to this, but if you were to say the single most important skill you need to have to be very, very good at speech and or debate, what would that be? Confidence. Absolutely, without a doubt, confidence. Um, We live in a world of multiple truths, big truths, small truths, and in order for your truth to be heard, you have to have the confidence in yourself and in your voice in order to succeed not only in speech and debate, but also in life. You have to have the confidence within yourself and within your voice, within your goals, within your purpose. Uh, Regardless of what it is, you have to have that confidence. And so absolutely confidence is one of the, I think, the biggest thing that we focus on, um, even subliminally sometimes, when we're, we're working on key aspects of, you know, structure or, or research or topics or uh, memorizing speeches, uh, it's always about confidence and building students' confidence because that's really what our goal is. Well, I want you to hold that thought because I'm going to come back to you on that. But, uh, Grant, what would you say uh, is the number one uh, skill, so to speak? I say it's uh, being willing to stand up after you've been knocked down. And I use a lot of fighting analogies and, and sports analogies when when I talk about those kinds of things. And, and part of it is actually directly related to what Patricia was saying. It's because almost every student that I know of comes or approaches or starts to speak from a place where they expect to be shut down. That happens to be um, just an exposure to the society where we know that what we have to say is not going to be accepted. 
and being able to foster within the students an environment where they will be able to break away from that fear of being silenced, from that fear of being put down or pushed back or be told that what you say isn't as important as what somebody else says, uh, and, and defeat the notions that are going to, and unfortunately, haunt so many people, whether that be imposter syndrome or just literally feeling that you do not belong in the space, is uh, the biggest obstacle, I believe, that needs to be overcome. And I think it is completely correlated with what Patricia was saying, which is confidence. Well, listen, I think that is so wonderful that you guys are both instilling this because not only does that certainly you know, play well with uh, the fields you're in, forensic speech and debate. Um, there's not a profession uh, that can't use uh, somebody from whether from cybersecurity to, you know, computers to something completely different uh, that would need that uh, confidence. So, Patricia, how do you instill this confidence? Really? Through practice. Um, it's getting our students uh, one of the first things that we teach them is it's okay if you don't know what to say. It's okay if you say things incorrectly or if you stumble when you speak. you got to keep speaking because the more they speak, the more confidence they build. And, and that's really what the key is. And so that's, that's how we, we start to instill it is just by getting them to take that first step be willing to put themselves out there and and keep going with it and keep speaking and letting them know that it's okay if it's not perfect because nobody's perfect. Nothing that anybody says is ever perfect. And once that fear that Grant was talking about starts to subside, their confidence is able to grow because they're, they're more likely to continue speaking and and that's really how we we initially get their confidence to build. And I think part of it as well, and I think this is a good time to give a shout out to the third member of the of the speech and debate team. I don't know his last name, but his, his first name is Alex. Uh, also, a, pardon me, Alex Cadena. Alex Padilla. And he is also a Rio Hondo alum. You have two of them on your staff. And I, I think that's got to be very important to the students that come and take these classes because they're looking at people from the neighborhood. Patricia, you're from the neighborhood. And, and you know things uh, about the neighborhood that the, the students know. And I, I have to think that that gives you a little bit more credibility when, when you're teaching them and really convincing them to take these steps, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, I, I think that's one of the reasons why we do so well as a team when it comes to our, our students is because, yes, I live in the area of Pico Rivera, so I know this area very well, but I think all of um, our staff members, we have the ability to understand certain aspects of uh, the environment that our students are coming from, the cultures, the backgrounds, um, including some of the, the struggles they face. And I think that makes our students, one, feel a little bit more comfortable around us, which is important, right, because they have to trust us <laughs> to, to instruct them. When we tell them, you can do this, they need to be able to believe us. And so knowing that we come from similar backgrounds, um, and understand their, their, their background, 
I believe that they they have more confidence in us when we tell them that they are capable. And this compassion and empathy that is coming from from the staff, it, it leads me to believe that uh, somebody like R. Lee Ermey, who played Gunnery Sergeant Hartman in Full Metal Jacket, probably wouldn't fit in too well at Rio Hondo College. Is, is that right, Grant? Are you, are, are you familiar with <laughs> Or am yes, I using I'm a reference? Familiar. that? Uh, let's, uh, can we, I, I want to make a joke, right? Absolutely uh, yelling at people is probably not the easiest way to endeavor them to open up. Um, and unless we're trying to make, uh, what was this, uh, lean, mean, killing machines, uh, which is <laughs> definite opposite of right. our intent behind what we're trying to accomplish. Um, certainly, though, it's a great movie, so... <laughs> well, definitely that. But you're making, you know, you're, you're turning out these global citizens, and every one of them has got a shot. And some of them, uh, some of them are receiving some some great economic benefits in the form of scholarships. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the opportunities these students have as they move on to their next destination. Uh, well, one of the cool things about forensics, it's still considered to be the etalon, the measuring device of academic success. Whether that's right or uh, no, the reality is, is that forensics speech and debate does expose students to a plethora of uh, knowledge sources, which makes them so attractive to universities and um, other institutions of um, you know, a higher learning. And so, therefore, uh, when they encounter students who have a forensics background, I believe there was an old study released in Forbes showing the transfer rate overall of people with forensics degree to the universities. It indicated a, a astronomically superior rate transfer simply because of the skill set that uh, students who are within the forensics are able to, to demonstrate. And because of that, um, universities are vested in, in recruiting said student, and because of that, they attach monetary assistance and economic assistance. So, for, uh, so universities out of state are also very interested in being able to recruit such uh, students with such bright potential and are willing to thereby support them by doing anything from direct scholarships to waiting out of state tuition fees or giving them other scholarship opportunities, even within private schools within the state of California, which see a significant, um, we work a lot with some of the schools, and I'll give shout out to Concordia, uh, which is a private institution which uh, loves uh, taking forensic students and uh, or appoint Loma Nazarene University, they're private institutions. But when they see that uh, students are demonstrating those abilities, although they tend to be rather more on an expensive and uh, traditionally, they're willing to uh, assist students and give them financial and economic and all the other types of uh, necessary aid in order for those students to continue on the better and higher level of uh, forensic success. And then sometimes you have a, a student like Patricia that you, you, you left Rio Hondo College, but you didn't leave the program, did you? You, you stayed on even as you were earning your, your, your BA and your, your, your MA, uh, and, and maybe you were looking at coming back to Rio Hondo College at some point anyway, but you continued on with, this, with the debate team as a, as a coach, didn't you? I did, yes. And uh, so, <laughs> how, uh, so 
the whole thing is if I was to go back to my high school, I would be petrified. Uh, maybe not so much uh, my college, since I lived just down the street from the college that I did attend, uh, not so much. But is that a strange feeling to do that, just to come back to your alma mater and, and, and be there and see, like, the new kids in town? It, it, it is a little strange. Um, it was an interesting transition. So <laughs> we, we use this term imposter syndrome. Uh, quite often, and especially academia, um, where it kind of feels like you you are there, but you're not really supposed to be there, and you're just waiting for people to figure out that you don't belong. And so transitioning from a student at Rio Hondo to uh, faculty at Rio Hondo has been very interesting in that way, where um, I almost feel like I had to transform who I was as uh, a student to a faculty in order to make that that a difference. So that because a lot of the faculty I work with, they were my instructors. <laughs> so it's it's very interesting personally. But one thing that I can absolutely say about Rio Hondo, and one of the reasons I wanted to work for Rio Hondo, is. They are so welcoming and and warm towards newcomers that I, I didn't really experience um, that much imposter syndrome, right? I actually felt like I belonged there because our faculty is so amazing and our students are so amazing. Um, they really made it a, a welcoming environment. So I didn't have that much of a struggle transitioning from as a student to a faculty member because of the type environment that we foster at Rio Hondo. So I, I guess I would say I'm one of the lucky ones. <laughs> yeah. So it was awkward, but not as awkward as it could have been. Right, right. Well, we'll give uh, Grant a lot of credit for that one, too. And uh, a question I have for both of you, but we'll start with Grant on this. Um, you know, one of the things that we always like to highlight on our California School News Report show is the fact that, you know, you become skilled in one area. Boy, it really opens up the doors in so many different professions. Um, and what you folks are doing with forensic uh, speech and debate um, certainly does that. You know, Grant, talk about how much you emphasize to the students that, listen, you uh, may think you're going to go into this type of a, of a field, but you've just opened the doors to so many others. Uh, talk about that. Well, one of the things that is critical for students to understand specifically who are doing forensic speech and debate is that your uh, original point of starting point, whether that being engineering, nursing, and so forth and so on, gives you an advantage, absolutely. But it can, if you do not broaden your horizons to be able to listen and, and, and be open to other ideas and other concepts, just a singular knowledge base is fifth. Uh, not going to be sufficient even within a specific field, which means being able to express yourself and, by, by, and more importantly, being open to process information that is interdisciplinary or cross-disciplinary, giving you access to multitudes of others, is the number one key that is going to make you, to one, critically think, and second, to be able to effectively express yourself on some level of competence. And if you can you can acquire those two things, critical thinking and being able to express yourself. You will meet what Fortune 500 uh, companies are calling trifecta, right? 
the communication skills, reading, writing, uh, critical thinking, and a response are the things that they want people to have. Because every other trade, every other skill can be taught, as we all know. But being able to do those three things requires being able to be open to alternative and other ideas. And so forensic speech and debate gives students those tools by giving them, exposing them to alternative, uh, arguing from the opposing side, arguing for the things that you don't particularly believe in, but yet needing to be exposed to, which means you learn the things that you might not agree with, but at the very least you learn how and why. And if that leads to uh, solid uh, construction of the reasons why you oppose a particular idea, then that's even better because now you will be able to not simply deny knowledge uh, that you are exposed to, but rather recognize what is knowledgeable and what is true versus what is false and what is not useful. So absolutely, we spend a lot of time teaching our students to be open to those other ideas. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Hey, Patricia, a question for you. Um, do you dare have the students, you know, to see how people debate? Um, do you have them actually watch live debates, whether um, most of the debates, of course, are with uh, politicians and so forth and, and, and whatever? Or is that like, hey, if you want to be a good debater, don't watch this. Uh, talk about that. Um, we actually do have our students watch especially political debates. Uh, we, we do want them to watch them live. We'll even have them watch them live with us right. uh, during our practice hours because it's, it's important for them to, one, see the tactics that politicians use in order to get messages across or to kind of get away from answering messages right. and, or questions and, and segue around topics. Um, also, there's the nonverbal aspects of what makes a good speaker versus not a good speaker. Um, and so being able to, to see our politicians and, and see how they perform during debates, and we'll ask them questions as they're watching these debates, like um, who believes this or what do you think they did well? What do you think made them so persuasive? And so we actually encourage them to watch live debates. Absolutely. And it also increases their knowledge, too, of what's currently taking place uh, within our government or within our communities. One of the things we do um, tell them maybe a little bit not to watch is, like, <laughs> the university level. And this is when they're first starting. Right. Um, because it can be intimidating when you're watching people who have been competing for four-plus years. Um, and you know, they're, they're speaking proficiently, and their arguments sound perfect and flawless, and so that can be intimidating. And that's when we'll tell them, maybe not yet. Give it, give it a little bit before you watch those ones. Right. But it, political realm, absolutely. Right. And on that note, too, um, Patricia, and you can answer this, too, uh, Grant, as well, do they ever go ahead and take a look at the moderator and uh, evaluate what the moderator is doing? Yes. They do, actually. Sometimes they're very critical of the moderator sometimes, um, and they're like, why are they not forcing them to answer the question? <laughs> so um, I think that's where Grant and I step in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead, Grant. Uh, one of the, the harsh realities is something that we are all as a um, nation are aware of. Our political debates have certainly stepped away right. from one 
politeness and collegiality that that is out of the window because that's not even uh, considered to be and secondarily is that the moderators have lost the ability to be able to hold people at task as a matter of fact if we look at the last presidential debate we could see how um unfortunate it is yep. that we are unable to truly moderate and ask, well, would you please stay on topic? Something that would probably give all, and, and I mean across both parties, they would all get a failing grade in any communication class if they were to choose to answer in such a manner <laughs> if they were asked within the classroom setting. And certainly, it's part of it has to do with um, politics no longer operating in a world where they speak to everybody, but rather they speak towards partisan notion. But those problems are also things that our students have to learn and understand. And so absolutely we speak on that part. You know, you brought up an interesting point. I know we're sort of running out of time here, but I mean, first of all, Kevin and I are thrilled. We This topic, when we saw it come up, I said, this is going to be a 16-hour interview, for God's mm-hmm. sake. You know, um, And unfortunately, we don't have 16 hours. But I'm going to ask one more point and just really uh, you know, put a little cherry on top of it. You are so spot on, Grant, and I know you feel the same way, Patricia, is you know the way things have shifted a little bit in, in who you're talking to. Um, and you know, are you talking to your, everybody out there? Or are you just talking to the mirror and your constituents? And to know that has been, you know, certainly a shift in how we've done not just debates, but just, uh, you know, speeches in general is is so critical. What is the reaction of the students who, you know, are younger and maybe that's all they've seen in their whole lives instead of, you know, how these debates used to be maybe back in the 50s and 60s and 70s? Not that there wasn't animosity back in those, but it was a different way of debating. Grant, I'll start with you on it. Uh, my response is, my generation has failed. You be better than us. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and stu- <laughs> students say that, and I say, unfortunately, we lost. We lost the grasp of the truth, and not because we failed to recognize it, but because we made it subjective. And once we make truth subjective, all of a sudden, what's more important becomes a tug of war between people. And I think younger generation is is better than us as of right now, not to be ageist or anything. And they're able to say, look, this is not right. And it, and they're braver than us. So I'm hoping that that courage and that uh, intelligence will also translate into their willingness to step out there and change it so we can come back or go back from this crazy uh, world in which we are no longer able to recognize within our politicians even even a semblance of politics for which we individually or collectively aspire towards. You know, let me just give you a big amen on that. And I know, Patricia, you're nodding your head, even though I can't see you through the Internet. Um, <laughs> I guarantee I could hear you nodding uh, your, your head on that. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, our, like Grant was saying, our, our students are normally very surprised, Um and especially when they, they get the opportunity to see how cordial these events used to be, we do get a lot of the questions of why don't we, we do this anymore? Why don't we answer the questions? Why, um, why is it just ad hominem attacks against, you know, the, the opposing side? And as Grant said, you know, we do explain it. And one of the things that we do is, we actually explain to them and, and we link it to what we do with speech and debate and how we teach them in order to be able to express themselves 
in ways that we used to conduct, you know, debates where we talked about the topics and we didn't lie and we didn't um, tiptoe around uh, the topics or the truth. And that's, I think, the extension to what Grant was saying when it comes to fostering their voices and their ability to be better than we have been um, as as politicians, as you know, in their generation, they, they are better than we currently are because they point it out and they ask those questions and they ask us, how can we fix this? And our response is by doing what we're doing now, by speaking our truth, by questioning um, these instances, why is this happening? How can we fix this? And doing our best to, to correct it. Uh, absolutely. Kevin? Yeah, and here's some breaking news. We're going to continue this discussion next week. We're going to bring the Rio Hondo College pol- political science teacher on. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but we're going to find them and uh, and and just uh, in, it, and and go through this one more time. Uh, boy, Patricia Grant, thank you so much. I'm very happy to report that we've had a very cordial conversation here today, <laughs> and it's also good to know that uh, students are are learning that uh, what we have been taking for granted in debate and argument and politics uh, for quite some time now that students are learning, hey, it doesn't have to be that way. It can be a better way. And, and, and you are two of the people, along with uh, Alex, Fidia, who, who are helping uh, the students take that approach. Uh, and, 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 and bless you for it, and, and thank you so much for coming on the program. We, just, we have just a couple of minutes left. I, and, you know, and, and Grant, I, I'm looking at your questionnaire. You, 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 have, you appear to have a very colorful history, uh, even prior to coming to Rio Hondo College. Uh, you're, you're a martial arts instructor, and it, apparently, once upon a time, a bouncer. Um, I would love <laughs> to hear the stories on that. We really don't have time, but uh, when, we, when we come back next year or something like that, uh, please, we have to talk about that just a little bit more. Absolutely. I would love to share a little bit about my past when we have the opportunity, but for now... <laughs> well, we don't have to share too much. But, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just, just the good parts. And, uh, and, and Patricia, uh, uh, I, I noticed on your questionnaire, it's just like, contrary to your, to your uh, career, uh, you're typically a very quiet person, aren't you? I am. <laughs> I, I am definitely a very quiet person, and I have two distinct reasons as to why. <laughs> okay. Um, one, it's because in order to know what's really happening and going on, it's best to be quiet and listen, because that's where the truth comes out, and that's where you're able to distinguish what is actually happening, who's saying what, and why they're saying it. And, you know, people who speak the most, typically are not listened to very well or they're the ones that kind of, you know, stretch the truth more often. So when you do have something powerful to say, if you're the quiet one, when you speak, people are more likely to listen. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, we're happy that you decided to not be quiet today and to <laughs> have such a wonderful conversation with us. Uh, before we go, Drew, do you have any uh, final uh, questions or thoughts for our guests? No, I just wanted to thank him for coming on. And yeah, the content, as always, it was just absolutely so wonderful and just motivating and so forth. And uh, for all the students that you are touching uh, in the past and today and in the future, uh, thank you so much for what you're doing. And we're going to definitely look forward to having you folks back on. Thank you very much for having us.
Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, another one is in the books. California School News Radio for another week. Thank you to our guests, Rio Hondo College Forensics Coordinator Grant Tabmazian and, uh, and, and Rio Hondo College Debate Coach and Speech Instructor Patricia Hughes. Uh, thank you to uh, Hans and Wade on the other side of the board. Uh, thank you to my colleague, Drew Schlossberg. And thank you to Valerie Martinez of VMA Communications, who graciously allowed to have this podcast every single week. That's it. We're done. We're going to be back next week with another great show. So wherever you are, uh, be safe, and we'll see you next week.